Um, yeah, well, good afternoon. Like I said, my name is Chad Mary. I'm one of the student workers here at Inspire. And we are continuing in our series called um, On the Road with Jesus. And so we've been looking at the book of Luke over the past several weeks, and we find ourselves here in chapter 15. And so what Jesus is going to do is he's going to unpack three different parables that are, that's targeted to two different types of listeners. And so I think it's important for us to kind of look at the context so we know what these listeners, who these listeners are, and then so we can see ourselves in these listeners. So who are these people listening to these parables? There's two groups. So there's the first group, which I would call the outsiders. These would be the social outcasts, so to speak, be the tax collectors and the sinners. And so these would be the ones that everybody knew was, they were morally bankrupt. They were wrong, right? So the tax collectors were working for the Romans and they were lining their pockets with the people's money, their neighbors, their family's money. They could adjust the tax rate to whatever they felt appropriate. They're stealing. They were thieves. And then you have the sinners lumped in with them. And the sinners would have been people just living an immoral lifestyle. Everybody would look at them and say, look, they are not living up to the Mosaic Code, to, to what God would say is right. So that's the outsiders. That's audience number one. And then you have audience number two, you have the insiders. This would be the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. These would be, you know, the insiders. Those that, if anybody's close to God, it's these people. They know God's law the best. If you want to know how to live according to God's law, you're supposed to look at them. Surely they're near God. Which one do you identify with and I think we might be surprised as we look further at the teachings of Jesus, which ones we actually identify with. Well, if this is your first time coming to Inspire or church in general, maybe you're just beginning to look into Christianity, Christian things. You might be asking the question, if there's a God, what is he like? That's a great question to ask, right? Well, as we look at Jesus' teachings here, his teachings are for you. Or maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe you've gone your entire life. My question for you is, do you really know what God is like? Or have you forgotten? Are you experiencing him day in and day out? Jesus' words are for you. Today we're going to look at two points. We're going to see the two activities of God. Seeking and rejoicing. And then secondly, we're going to look at the very last parable. And we're going to see what our response is to be, illustrated by the two sons. So that's where we're going. So let's start with point number one, the two activities of God. It picks up in verse 3. You may want to look or have your Bibles handy because we'll be referring back to it quite frequently. But first we see that God is, he's a God who seeks. So the first parable is a shepherd, right? He has a hundred sheep and one goes astray. So this sheep is face down, munching the grass, only thinking about filling its belly until all of a sudden it's gone astray. It cannot find its way back. And so what does the shepherd do? Verse 4, he seeks after it. He leaves the other 99 and seeks the one who's lost. In this story, God is the shepherd. We are the sheep. This imagery would have been very familiar with Israel. Think of Psalm 23 in the Old Testament. God is the shepherd, we are the sheep. But then what's also interesting is Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. 
This is an activity of, G- of, of Jesus himself. He is leading, he is out seeking people to bring them back. So the father seeks. Second parable, we have a woman who has, t- um, sorry, 10 silver coins. She loses one. And what does she do? Look at verse 8. It says, she searches carefully for it. Now, this isn't just any normal coin. This is what is called a drachma, and it's worth a day's wage. So this isn't, you know, your, your 5P that slid down the back of the couch cushion. That, okay, if it's there, it's there. It doesn't matter. Think about what a day's wage is for you. I don't know the exact equivalent to today, but in London, a day's wage is roughly 80, 90 pounds. That's minimum wage is 10 pounds an hour. So if you work an eight-hour day, that's an 80, 90-pound coin. That's something that if you lose, you're going to look for that thing, right? It has some value to it. And so here this woman is. She's searching for this coin. She lights a lamp, which would have cost money. She sweeps the house, requiring effort. And she's seeking for the coin. She represents the Father seeking for something that is lost. So in these two parables, we see the activity of God. He's not sitting back, kind of legs up, arms crossed, just observing. No, he's out seeking. An interesting observation about the two objects that are being sought is that they're completely helpless. Think about it, a sheep. How will that sheep ever survive on its own, removed from the fold? How will it make it? It can't, right? It's helpless unless something goes and brings it back. Someone goes and brings them back. Same thing with a coin. It's an inanimate object. It will not move unless acted upon. It is helpless. It is God who saves. We do not save ourselves. Second activity is that God rejoices. So in the first parable, we see this very clearly in verse 5. It says, when the shepherd finds the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. He calls his friends and neighbors and says, verse 6, rejoice with me. And then Jesus clarifies what this means in verse 7 for us. He says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. Notice that these 99 in this parable are not said to be righteous by God, but they are righteous in their own sight. So there's more rejoicing over the one who acknowledges his need, turns to the Father. The second parable, in verse 9, we see the same thing, the same theme of rejoicing with the woman, right? She finds the coin, and what does she do? She calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. And then Jesus says something very similar. He says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, if you're hearing that word sinner and you're like, okay, that's, that's great for those sinners out there. What do we know the Bible says about a sinner? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is not a unique instance or a certain classification of people that doesn't associate to me. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So this is a major theme, the seeking, rejoicing. And when we see this rejoicing, we see it nine different times in this chapter in different forms. We hear rejoice, rejoicing. We see it was in joy. It was be glad. It's celebrate. It's his theme. We're to see what God is like. It's what he does. When something is lost and is found, he rejoices. Think about your own personal life and how 
when you have lost something of value and you found it, what was your response? You rejoice. For me, I was thinking back, this is quite a long time ago now. This was in my first year of marriage. And uh, so Mandy and I had been married just five months. And we lived in the U.S. And we went back home to the state of Arkansas to visit family. And it was Christmas time and it snowed, which doesn't happen very often in Arkansas. If anything, you might get a dusting. This was like four, five, six inches of snow. So a good amount of snow. So what do we do? The family goes outside and we have an epic snowball fight, right? Packing the snow, making snowballs, hurling it at each other, having a great time. Well, like I said, it's Arkansas. We're not really prepared. Our hands are freezing. So we go back in and we're warming our hands by the fire. And I look down and my wedding ring is gone. Now, my, my in-laws, they live, the property backs up to the woods. We're running through, through the trees, deep snow. We've packed it all down. I'm thinking, this is impossible. How am I ever going to find this wedding ring, right? Not only is it costly, did it cost money, but what it signifies, right? Here I am, I'm only five months into, into marriage and I've already lost my wedding ring. This is, not a, this is not a good start. And so we go out and we're all searching. I mean, just imagine dropping something in the snow and, and trying to find it, right? And so we search that day, no luck. The next day, I acquire one of those metal detectors. You know, you see those people on the beach looking for treasure. Had one of those going all over the back as far as I, you know, as far as I could. But, you know, when you, when you throw something, it can fling off anywhere. And then, uh, this is the third day I'm out there. I'm kind of giving up, honestly. I'm like, I'm praying, but it's more out of just desperation. I'm kind of, I'm ready to call it quits. And then I look to my right, and there's a, a tree that had been cut down. There's a stump that was sticking above the snow. And on top of this stump is my ring, not covered with snow. It's just sitting there. It's like something out of a movie. It's almost like cue the lights, cue the, the awe-inspiring music, and I see it. What was my response when I saw that ring? That I just kind of oh, fold my arms, grab it, go inside, close the door, go to my room, be by myself? No. I ran. I picked it up. I ran into the house. I said, I found it. I can't believe it. I lost it, but now I found it. Everybody comes out. There's rejoicing. Think about the way it is with God when a soul repents. Not just a ring, not just a sheep, not just a coin, but when a sinner repents, there's much rejoicing in heaven. So how do you view God? That's the question. Is it in line with what Jesus is saying here? Now, if you have repented, turned from your life of living for yourself and turned to following Jesus... This is true of you. God is actually rejoicing over you. If I were to ask you right now, what is God's facial expression towards you at this moment? If, if he were to be looking at you, what would be on his face? Oftentimes we might think a little disappointed, not quite, they don't quite have my act together. Right? Maybe his back's turned to you. That's, what, that's how you feel. But here... It is saying that God is rejoicing. There's great joy for a sinner who repents. Point number two. What is our response as illustrated by the two sons in the third parable? Well, let's start with the younger son. The younger son makes foolish decisions, right? His sin is very external. It's easy to see. Verse 12, he goes to his father. 
He says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now think about those words. I mean, half of the state of the estate was due to him, but not until his father died. What he's saying is, Father, I don't want anything, I don't want anything to do with you. I don't want relationship with you. I want your stuff and I want to get out. Surprisingly, the father gives it to him. And so he takes the land, the herds, whatever he might have given him, sells it, takes the money, and he says he goes off to a foreign land, to a far-off land, and squanders it in wild living. This is the younger son. And where do we see that he ends up? He ends up in a pig pen, feeding pigs, longing to fill his own belly with what those pigs are eating. Now, culturally, this was an all-time low in the Jewish society to be amongst pigs, an unclean animal, to be a hired servant to somebody else, he is at an all-time low. And what happens? It says he comes to his senses. He actually experiences repentance. What does he say? Verse 18, I have sinned against heaven and against you. So he's kind of thinking, I'm going to go back to my father and and I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He is having a moment where he's turning. He's turning from what he was living for, seeing the emptiness in it, and saying, I've sinned against God. I have offended God, and I have offended you. Would you take me back? So what is the father's reaction? Verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. So before the son even has an opportunity to come and say, I'm sorry, and repent, the father is actually looking for him. He sees him as a long way off. The father seeking him. And before he, you know, he, de- he doesn't have this amazing um, apology. He hasn't even said anything yet, but yet the father's going towards him. He's being drawn to him. And the picture here would have just been shocking to its listeners. This dignified man. In this culture, one does not run. He does not show his legs. And he would have to do that in order to, to run, right? He has to pull up his garment. He has to run to, this, to his son. He doesn't care. He wants to be with his son. He was dead and now he's alive. He showers him with kisses. He embraces this smelly son who's been in the pig pens. It's very unexpected. At least he would have probably, what, punished him? Maybe given him a position as a servant? But what does he do? Welcomes him back, restores his status as a son in the family. From head to toe, he showers him with love. The father gives him his best robe. He puts the family ring on his finger. He puts sandals on his feet. This guy didn't even have sandals. That's how bad he was. He was barefoot. But the father lavishes him with love. But he takes it a step further. What does he do? He kills the fattened calf, the one reserved for celebration. And they throw a massive party. We know it's a big party because the older son is drawn in by the sound of the music and the dancing. And he sees what's happening. There's a band. There's music. There's a feast. There's dance. What is going on? There's a celebration over the younger son who has returned. This is what the father says, verse 24. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We've heard this before, right? Saw it in 15 verse 7 and 15 verse 10. Rejoicing over what was lost and now is found. 
So, in what ways are you like the younger son? Do you feel distant from God? Do you, would you say something like, I can't believe I still struggle with this? Fill in the blank. I've tried to put my life in order. I try again and again, and I, and I keep failing. For me, a lot of times it's in parenting that I see this. 95, 99% of the time I can do the right thing. But it only takes one little trigger and I lash out. I yell. I'm not gentle. I'm not showing the father's love to my kids. And so when I lay in bed at night, I'm like, why again have I done that? What's the response to be? Come to Jesus. Return to him. And there is much rejoicing. Well, let's look at the older son. He was the responsible one, right? He was where he was supposed to be, doing what he was supposed to be doing. Where do we find him in the story? He's in the field. So he's helping with the father's business. He's, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's where he's supposed to be. He lives by the rules, but he's doing it not out of joy. He's doing it out of duty. He's not delighting in obedience to the Father. He's obligated to do it. And you see this sense of obligation in the way that he speaks here. He doesn't have these great external sins like his younger brother. In a lot of ways, they're internal. They're a little bit harder to see, but they're just as ugly. In verse 25, Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He's doing what he's supposed to be doing. And then in verse 28, he becomes angry when he hears that the party is for his younger brother. He has to inquire from a servant and say, what's going on? And when he hears it's for his brother, instead of rejoicing, he becomes bitter. Look how he speaks to his father in verse 29. His response to his father is one of anger and disbelief. He says, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat, so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? The older son was proud. He thought of all people who deserved a celebration, it was him. He'd done what is right. He had earned the father's love, surely. And his hatred for the older brothers exposed and the older son doesn't enter the celebration. He remains on the outside. This is a great turning of events here. At the beginning of the story, it's the younger son who's the outsider. He's gone astray, and the, the older son is the insider. And now it's the younger son who's the insider in the celebration. The older son is on the outside. The great reversal has taken place. He just can't come to grips with this unmerited love, this grace, this free forgiveness that the father's giving the son. Well, what is the father's response to the older son? It's just as gracious. It's just as gentle. The father goes out and seeks the older son too. Verse 28. So, the, so his father went out and pleaded with him. His father goes out to the older son and beckons him, come in. He pleads with him. And he gently corrects the older son and reminds him that all that he has is already his. 
all that I have. It's yours. Come in. He doesn't go out and say, get in here. Get your act together. Quit pouting. But he welcomes him in. He says, please come in. Come join us. In the father's response in verse 32, he gives the reason. He says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this year, brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the proper response. This is the response of God when a sinner repents. So how are we like the older brother? Are you proud of your moralistic life, your lifestyle? Are you serving God out of obligation? Are you doing the right things, but not out of joy, but out of duty? Are you judgmental towards those who don't live up to your standards? You've set high standards, right? That's a good thing. People just can't live up to my standards. How do you see yourself as better than others? Are you compassionate towards those that exhibit these younger brother characteristics? Said the father said he was moved with compassion for the younger son, that inner feeling of love, that he was gutted. He was actually moved from within to that level of compassion and love. How do we view those that are like younger brothers? Maybe it's something like this. I work for a ministry. God must be really happy with me. Or I work with a charity. Or, or look at all the people I'm helping. Surely God loves me a little bit more, right? I mean, look what I'm doing. Maybe it's you're a student and I study really hard, God. Surely on the next test, there's going to be a little extra blessing there. I'm not out there on the weekends, like, getting wasted with my friends. Maybe it's I read my Bible every day and I go to church every Sunday. I'm doing the right things and I'm in the right place, just like the older brother. Or maybe it's I don't struggle with blank sin. Therefore, I'm a little better than, than someone else. Surely God loves me just a little bit more. This elder brother thinking can slip in. It's sneaky. It can be under the surface. But it's just as ugly, and we need to repent from it. We need to turn and enter into the celebration with the father. And this father, as he goes out to the older son and invites him in, this invitation is the same for, for you and for me today. Whether you feel distant, like the younger son, or, or nearby, like the older son, if you've never turned to Jesus in faith, come to the Father through the Son. If you've never done that, why not now? He's waiting to lavish you with his love, to celebrate, to rejoice over a sinner who repents. So what is God like? It's a question we started with. He's the God who's seeking. He's the God who's rejoicing and he's waiting to celebrate. He's waiting to lavish you with his love, to bring you in to his party. Praise be to God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. This is good news that we have a heavenly father who is not wagging his finger at us, telling us to try harder, do better. He's saying, come to me. Come as you are. And there will be much rejoicing over one sinner who repents. 
God, that is good news for us today. Help us to identify areas we need to repent from in our own lives that we would quickly turn from those and see them as rubbish and turn to you, the one who holds eternal life and pleasures forever. God, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.